Welcome to episode 24 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian. My name is Ross Hodges, and I'm here with John Payne, my good friend and fellow laborer. He is the senior minister at Christ Church Presbyterian here in Charleston, and uh, we are here today coming up on the Advent season. And uh, John, I know that you uh, are looking forward to Christmas. It's one of your favorite times of year. Indeed it is. That's right. got the Christmas tree up already, and uh, we went... Um, and drove up to Canada and chopped it down and brought it back. No, actually, we just went to the Publix and uh, there was a tent out front there and grabbed a beautiful eight and a half foot tree and are looking forward to decorating it tonight. It is. It is. Uh, it's a good looking tree and it makes the studios of Between the Times look that much better. <laughs> well, uh, today we want to talk about Christless Christianity. And this is the title of a book by Michael Horton who is a professor of uh, systematic theology at Westminster Seminary in California, uh, one of my former professors. And John, you chose Christless Christianity as one of the books for the reading challenge for Christ Church this year. And uh, just first of all, tell us a little bit um, about why this book made the list. Well, uh, being in a church plant, of course, we're always thinking through uh, what we want to expose our people to in terms of giving them a, a right understanding of, of basic doctrine, of foundational doctrine. Mm. Uh, we, uh, we want our people to uh, be mature disciples. And then, of course, uh, part of the, uh, the strategy behind the catechism is to give our, our congregations, and this has been this way for, for many, many centuries, is... Mm. Uh, that we want to give our, our congregation a basic understanding of primary Christian doctrine. And and so as we think through that, not only do we encourage people to read the confessions and the catechisms, uh, but also to read good literature. And mm -hmm. of course, Mike Horton, who uh, was one of your professors and uh, a good friend of your family's and mm -hmm. has become a dear friend of mine over the last several years, uh, he has been doing stellar work uh, mm -hmm. on a lot of cultural and ecclesiastical uh, kind of analysis, uh, analysis of the American church. And, right. and and so this book, Christless Christianity, which came out back in 2008, uh, I read it back in 2008, and it had a really deep impact on me. In fact, I uh, really there's not uh, a month that goes by where I'm not thinking about some of the things that I learned from this book in terms of this diagnosis of the American Evangelical Church. Mm. Uh, it actually forms the first of a trilogy of books that Mike wrote. Uh, this one, Christless Christianity, being uh, the kind of looking at the, all the problems uh, in the modern uh, American Evangelical Church. And then uh, The Gospel-Driven Life was written uh, subsequently to give the solution to mm. uh, the problems. And the solution, of course, is to trumpet forth the Lord Jesus Christ through word and sacrament and to uh, not see every week as needing to be epic, mm. and, and, uh, but to have an ordinary, faithful uh, ministry of, of, of faithfully proclaiming the word of God and ministering the sacraments and and having a church that cares about its members and are mm -hmm. seeking to shepherd them and to love mm -hmm. them. And then finally, uh, the Gospel Commission was mm -hmm. written as the third book in that trilogy, which 
essentially sets forth what the church is supposed to be doing mm -hmm. uh, in terms of its mission and what Christ left us with before he ascended into heaven, that great commission. Uh, what are we supposed to do? Because there's a lot of confusion uh, these mm -hmm. days uh, about what the church should be doing. That's right. Well, it is an excellent book, and uh, if you uh, who are listening have not had a chance to read it yet, we certainly encourage you to, to pick that up and... Um, to dive in and so what we want to do for the remainder of our time is is discuss uh, a couple of the main themes uh, that are running through the book and really as the title suggests the 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 first uh, point that uh, Horton makes is that in the the church today and we were speaking of the broad evangelical church um, in the church today there really is a lot of what could be termed as Christless Christianity which seems to be an oxymoron and it should be mm -hmm. but it really isn't um, why why is that the case why is a lot of, of Christianity today actually Christless and therefore not Christianity at all well you know Horton brings out this uh, phrase uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, mm -hmm. doesn't he? Uh, does, he yeah. quotes uh, Christian Smith, the sociologist, who did uh, a tremendous amount of research and and, and polling uh, amidst American evangelical teenagers. Mm -hmm. That is, teenagers who grew up in evangelical homes, were in church their whole life, were in youth groups, and so forth. And the answers to basic fundamental questions about the Christian faith came back uh, rather shocking mm -hmm. at the ignorance of not only the ignorance of biblical categories and truth but the responses that came out brought about this phrase that he coined that rather than there being a solid biblical Christian foundation where doctrine was known and, and understood really what came forth was that these were moralistic, therapeutic deists. Deists, right. Not, not people who believe in the need for a savior and that sort of thing, but people who believe in a God who's not really involved. Not really involved until you perhaps want him to be, uh, like, a, like a bellhop. Or Santa. Or Santa. You, you, you know, you're fine, you want him to keep his distance just until you, you might need him for some therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you you might need him uh, for you know some reason to help you in your life and and then also the the moralism side of things that a lot of the the teenagers described their their position with God as based on how they lived, mm -hmm. not on what Jesus did right. and then when you actually go into the churches and particularly the the modern mega church scene. Mm -hmm. And you begin examining what is happening in worship services and through the various programs and ministries as you begin to find out that Jesus really is missing from the picture. The true Jesus, the historic Lord Jesus Christ who lived a sinless life and died on the cross and rose from the dead, those truths are not being announced and trumpeted mm -hmm. from pulpits. It's all about us. So if Jesus is there in a lot of these churches and worship services, really he's a buddy, he's, um, he's someone to help you with your goals, your um, aspirations, that uh, the Jesus is, he's sort of like a, almost even a power source that you can plug into when you need him, but, um, but not the, the Jesus of the Apostle Paul or uh, the Jesus of Hebrews that we would see 
where there is a knowledge of sin and therefore atonement and and forgiveness, but uh, really oftentimes just help and in a lot of ways um, sort of self-therapy. That's that's exactly right. And uh, there's a wonderful little passage here in, in, in Horton's book, Christless Christianity, on page 19, where uh, he states that God is used as a personal resource rather than known, worshipped, and trusted. Mm. Jesus Christ is a coach with a good game plan for our victory rather than a savior who has already achieved it for us. Mm. Salvation is more a matter of having our best life now than being saved from God's judgment by God himself. And the Holy Spirit is an electrical outlet we can plug into for the power we need to be all that we can be. These are the distortions that are constantly being put forth before you know, thousands and thousands of, of well-intentioned evangelicals who are coming to these uh, energetic, high energy. These aren't liberal mainline churches we're talking about here. Right. These are supposed evangelicals. We're, we're, we're talking about people who would say, I believe the Bible is the word of God, and yet there's very little of it in the worship services. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really not taken very seriously, particularly the Christ-centeredness yes. of the scriptures. And that's that's really part of what's what he's bringing out in the book is is the shocking nature that this is coming from the evangelical circles. Those, like you say, who would, would say we, we love Jesus and we believe the Bible. The fact that this sort of thing exists in the liberal mainline churches is is no nothing new. It's no surprise. Of course, we have um, J. Gresson Machen uh, back in the early 1900s writing Christianity and Liberalism, describing this very thing that a lot yes. of the supposed Christian churches really weren't Christian at all. They were uh, a different religion. It's a li- different liberalism. Yes, it's a different religion. And and Richard Niebuhr uh, wrote. Um, about the the situation as well in the mainline churches and mm-hmm. the lack of 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 gospel that was being proclaimed and he describes it like this and what is eerie and the quote I'm about to read is how much it also describes the modern day evangelical church mm-hmm. where where he states that what the liberals believe is in a god without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. Mm. That's essentially liberalism. They don't talk about sin. They don't talk about God's wrath. They don't talk about judgment. And they don't talk about the nastiness of the cross and what Christ did to save wretched sinners like us. That's right. But ironically... That's what we get what, <laughs> in evangelical churches a lot of times. What Horton's bringing out in the book, which is absolutely true, is that... In a lot of mainstream evangelical, broad evangelical churches, a lot of mega churches, you're getting a lot of of moralism or a lot of Christian um, activism. Right. You know, we've yeah. got to do this, we've got to do that, or Christian kind of therapy. Mm-hmm. Here, let me give you the ten ways that you can feel good in the you know in the yeah. church or in the presence of God or in yeah. life. Let's let's talk about how we can get rid of your problems, you know, all of this therapeutic language. And nowhere is our greatest problem being dealt with. Which is sin. Which is and sin, and guilt of sin and guilt of sin. You know, the, he, he spends a lot of time interacting with um, Joel Osteen, who is perhaps the easiest one to sort of target with this sort of thing because he's, he's so well known and his message is so obviously um, un-Christian and, and we could even say anti-Christian because Osteen is 
is doing exactly what you've just described, where it's here, it's seven steps or 12 steps or however many it was to, um, to, to your best life now or to happiness. And he's just come out with a new um, book, uh, The Power of I Am, I think. And, and it's, um, it's... It's Norman Vincent Peale repackaged. Y yes. The Power of Positive Thinking exactly. and Therapy. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, it's all about the individual transforming him or herself um, by following certain steps. And, and what, you, what you realize when you start to pull back the covers on these things is that it's a different, it's a different form of, um, of law-keeping. And that here you have to transform yourself by doing these sorts of things. And, and as Horton says, it's done with a smile. He smiles at you when he says it. But really, you have to transform yourself. And it's going to leave people as um, not only lost uh, as, as far as not hearing the gospel, but also very discouraged and, and lost in the sense of nothing ever changing because it's left up to them. And so really, it's, it's, a, it's not Christian at all. Uh, now, something he brings out in a later chapter in the book is um, the connections between some things happening in the modern evangelical church and the um, the Protestant mainline churches, things that have happened there already. And something I find fascinating is how he, he points out that a turn to the inner person, a turn to the subjective experience of religion um, has uh, has become the foundation for a lot of Christianity so that it's no longer historic biblical Christianity that, that churches are focusing on, how um, God mediates to his people through his word and sacraments, um, his means of grace, but now people find that by, by turning inward and having experiences. And he's pointed out how the, the liberal churches have been there for a long time. They, they no longer need Jesus. They no longer need um, a Christ who saves them and brings them to God, they can come to God themselves by by having experiential religion. On their own terms. On their own terms, in their own way, uh, whenever they so ch so choose. And um, he, while he says certainly evangelicals are not liberals, and, and the, he's not equating them, he said, but you can see how the foundation is laid for that to happen. And I think we're seeing that beginning to happen with the um, the movement of of homosexuality mm -hmm. and the gay rights and how certain mm -hmm. so-called evangelical churches are now picking that up and embracing mm -hmm. it because you have a um, you have now a turn to experiential religion now here's some people they've experienced certain things with their life and their sexuality we can't deny them the status of Christian and so we're going to embrace them and embrace their lifestyle mm. more importantly and embrace the doctrine that then has to go with it mm -hmm. and so he's he's giving us a warning and that can be on a whole number of levels right absolutely I mean, there's so much confusion about sexuality in our day that that obviously can apply not only to uh, the homosexual uh, agenda but also to uh, heterosexual uh, infidelity yes um, I have my own experience with God. In my experience with God, he does not want to deny me happiness. And happiness is going to be on my terms in terms of this other person that I want to be with and yes. the way that I want to be with them. Yes. And so, yes, I, I believe that, you know, particularly because the Bible speaks so much about sexuality, this is a, a big uh, way that, that, that this inner spirituality, this subjective on my own term spirituality connects with the real life it's that we start making decisions on sexuality 
that are totally uh, out of accord with Scripture, mm -hmm. with the Word of God. But we say, well, what difference does it make? Because objective Scripture is not what we are living according to. That's, That's not right. what we're conforming to. That's right. All we're trying to conform to is what makes us happy. Exactly. And religion isn't about what makes us happy. See, that, that's the problem that people have. They, right. they, they don't recognize that the church doesn't exist to make people happy. The church exists to make disciples. To preach the truth. To preach the truth. And, and making disciples is not always easy. In fact, it's hardly ever easy. It's, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. I mean, Jesus himself gives requirements for discipleship that are very difficult. You, my, your love for me... He says, shouldn't even be compared to the love you have for your family. In fact, it should look almost like hate, mm. is what he says in, in Luke. He says, you must be willing to renounce all, to forsake all uh, for the sake of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you must be willing to give your very own life if necessary. And so these are the terms. It's not whatever makes you happy. It's here's discipleship on my terms. Mm -hmm. Here is the gospel on uh, God's terms. And that mm -hmm. gospel... It, it declares that wretched sinners who are condemned, who are dead in their transgressions and sins, are by grace through faith saved from the power and penalty of those sins. Mm -hmm. And from that place of being received by God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, from that place then we live a life of growing godliness and obedience, conformity to God's word, being living sacrifices, holy mm -hmm. and acceptable to God, for this is our spiritual worship. We're not mm -hmm. to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds, the Bible says. And so this is a totally different way of approaching it. And you mentioned earlier, Ross, about this being rooted in history. You know, here we are at Christmas time and there's lots of talk and, and it's fun talk, but you know, lots of talk about Santa Claus, you know, flying through the air with Rudolph. reindeer and, and, and Rudolph, you know, making sure that Santa can see in front of his, his, <laughs> uh, his sleigh with his glowing nose. And you've got Frosty the Snowman and you've sure. got lots of fun, you know, movies that we'll watch and, and all, all of these things. But, you know, sometimes Christians, so-called professing believers, will put Jesus sort of right along those, those folks. That's right folks <laughs> along those those myths those and, fairy, and tales fairy tales and yeah. myths and jesus just becomes another kind of of myth to make me feel good kind of a sweet happy uh feeling yeah and and and, and who jesus was as we celebrate this time of year was one who left the riches and the majesty of glory above uh to be born of a virgin in a stable laid in a manger mm -hmm. wasn't born in a palace he was he was born in poverty essentially mm. and he he became poor that we would become rich mm. and is there anything more glorious than that message and yet yeah. that's the very message that's being uh withheld yeah from the church because we're too busy doing therapy on ourselves doing therapy trying to make ourselves feel good. Yeah. And when you talk about sin and death and hell and judgment, which is a necessary part of the gospel because we must be saved from something, mm -hmm. why then what you're doing is you are, uh, uh, you're removing the very thing that's going to help us understand what our greatest need is, mm. uh, which is, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so where the church is meant to be that which clearly proclaims the person and work of Jesus Christ through preaching and sacraments, mm -hmm. 
baptism pointing away to the washing away of our sin with the blood of Christ, the Lord's Supper, the bread uh, symbolizing Christ's body, the wine symbolizing his blood, all of these things are making us look away from ourselves to the person and uh, finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3 has a, a wonderful uh, little section, kind of autobiographical, about his and the other apostles' uh, ministries. And he writes uh, here at the end of chapter 1 and verse 28, him, that is Christ, we proclaim, mm. warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in, in Christ. Christ. For this I toil, he says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Mm. And so here's the Apostle Paul saying, here is what Christ has called me and the other apostles to do. It is to trumpet the gospel. It is to sure. trumpet Christ and him crucified and risen for guilty sinners. And the goal is to present everyone mature mm. in Christ. That's right. And so that maturity is the goal of the church. Now, let's just put it straight. And there are so many expressions of Christianity in our day where one does not get the sense that maturity is what we're going for. That's right. But rather a kind of light, sanctified entertainment. Mm. So we, we want to trumpet a Christianity that is historic, uh, that comes to us from outside of us. It's not just experiential. It's not just something that uh, makes us feel good. Um, um, and that in every way has Christ at the center. Uh, the center of its teaching, the center of its worship, uh, the center of its uh, piety and practice. And that is something that is sorely missing today. And so uh, we should encourage our listeners to take uh, the time this, uh, this Christmas season, this Advent season, to, um, to, to think about, uh, you know, amidst all the busyness and the fun, uh, but to think about the historic nature of Christianity and of uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, who truly, in time and space, took on flesh uh, to come and, and be Emmanuel, God with us. Mm. Um, to come to us from outside and, and therefore to raise us up to heaven uh, because in no way could we raise ourselves there mm. uh, forever. So mm. uh, let us, um, let us uh, pray against uh, a Christless Christianity and, um, and certainly a Christless life. Yes, it's, it's not just about worrying uh, regarding having a Christless Christmas. You know, we yeah. hear a lot about... Right. Don't take Christ out of Christmas. Don't take Christ out of Christmas. Well, how about this? Let's not take Christ out of the church. Mm. Let's not take Christ out of our worship. Let's not take Christ out of our daily lives as we uh, seek to walk in him and abide in him. Amen. Well, we thank you for joining us once again on Between the Times, and we look forward to next time.